At this time, we'll have our first message for the day by Mr. Art Williams. During my message at Branson, I skipped over a section of the message for the sake of time. So I thought I'd go back today and just pick up that portion of it that I, <clears throat> that I left out. For, you, for those of you not in Branson, I spoke on some of the players and the events of the final seven-year period. And the section that I skipped was on concerns, of, concerns about 1727. I know it sounds like a year in history, but it's not. It's the 11th most frequently used noun in the King James Version of the Bible. The noun occurs 1,727 times, and it begins with the letter C, contains eight characters, and ends with the letter N. N. It is interesting to note that the first eight most frequently occurring nouns about God are about God or man. In the ninth, is about the largest purchase most men ever make in their lifetime. And the tenth is about time. I'll quickly just read down the list of the top 11. Lord, God, man, Israel, people, king, son, and men. Those are the first eight. The ninth is house. The tenth is day. And the eleventh the 1727 is children. When you speak about events and prophecy, people have concerns about what happens in certain situations. And both parents and, have, and children have concerns. And <clears throat> they have voiced concerns over various happenings during these future prophetic events. And from the child's point of view, the statement is, what happens to me when? The blank can be filled in with any number of specific events. But the generic thought is, what happens to me when, or what happens to my children when, the parents and children are separated by events? Jesus said in Matthew 24, 19, speaking about the years just prior to his return, Woe unto them that are with child, and to them that nurse in those days. Because having a child in those times is going to make it more difficult and more stressful. If you have a child halfway through the final seven-year period, you have three and a half years of tribulation in front of you. If you have it at the start of the seven-year period, you have 
the full seven years in front of you. And you can figure out very quickly the ages of your child. But we have limited visibility out into the future. What if the child is born two years, three years, five years, or ten years before the start of the final seven-year period? So they're like maybe five, six, eight, thirteen, or fifteen years of age. What happens to them when some of these events that are prophesied happen? <clears throat> well, current situations in our life today may be divorce or kidnapping or death are all major concerns. And in the future, there's the resurrection and there's Christian persecution. And regarding the resurrection, you know, you hear about people being concerned, well, I'm an airplane pilot, and if I'm changed in the middle of a twinkling of an eye and I'm sitting behind the controls of this jetliner, the whole jetliner's going to crash. Well, the other one is, oh, I'm driving a car, and I'm instantly changed and gone, and everybody in the car gets killed, or I'm a taxi driver or a bus driver. There are some errors in thinking that are associated with that. First of all, if you're a Sabbath keeper, you won't be working if it happens on the Sabbath, okay? And the second error is thinking that today's conditions will be how it is at the time when the resurrection happens. We're not going to, probably, the society is not going to be anything like we have today. If, whether the roads are even passable because of all the earthquakes and meteorites and the wars and everything that is happening. There's probably, at the time of the resurrection, it may be more like the end of World War II in Germany with buildings being collapsed and all the wars and all the destruction has taken place. So some of our thinking needs to be couched, I think, with the reality of what those situations will be. In World War II, and to give you an example of how, even if you're separated from your children, you can help your children. In World War II, there was a young child she was getting ready to go to school in the fall. And her dad, over the objections of her mom and over the objections of the child, insisted that she wears her winter coat and her winter boots in September when it's chilly in the morning, like it is here, but in the mid-afternoon it's 70 degrees. But he insisted. He had some insight and understood exactly what was going on in German society at that time, him being a Jew. And it wasn't too many weeks along when that young girl came home, her father and mother were gone. They had been rounded up and taken off to a concentration camp. She relates the story and she says, for those years when she was in the concentration camp, she was the only person there that had adequate winter clothing because her dad insisted that she wear her winter clothing in September before the weather was bad. She survived the concentration camps, and, and she survived the war, but she had never seen her parents again from that day when they were gathered up. In Ephesians 2.8, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is the gift of God. And it truly is a gift of God to be strong in faith. 
But I also personally believe that the more we hear about God, the more we see God in action, the greater our faith will become. Another story about a young girl, she's about 12 years old, and her mom and dad decided, well, her mom already had the child, and she was a prostitute. And they were both in the bikes, hanging around in biker bars, doing illicit drugs, and abusing alcohol. But nonetheless, they got married, and a year and a half later, the marriage was falling apart. And on the insistence of the wife's brother, they went to a marriage counseling seminar held over a, a two-day weekend. As a result of that, long story short, this 12-year-old girl who, when they first started praying as a family, she would just yell and scream because she didn't believe in God, she didn't want anything to do with God. It was like a year and a half later, actually it was six months later, she's telling the story a year and a half later, two years later, and she relates that six months into this, she's seeing a change. She's seeing a change in her parents. They aren't arguing as much. They're no longer doing the drugs, the, the booze, the alcohol, the prostitution. And it's a, it's a, it's a heartwarming story. It's in a three-part video. But what she said <clears throat> near the end of her, her, her explanation of what was going on, she says, I know God lives because I've seen him work. And that's how exercising our faith in believing and following the instructions that we learn can impact others. But still there will be times that we lack confidence and trust and faith. And one of those causes is knowledge without understanding. I've heard it said that if we, it's, it's better if we don't understand something and still go, go along on faith. And that's true. That's good advice. But at the same time, Knowledge without understanding impedes or limits the results of what can be obtained. <clears throat> understanding brings relevance, and relevance brings application. And these are particularly important aspects to sustaining children's interests, especially as they relate to the scriptures. You see, we can teach the children to memorize scriptures and do little puzzles and little games. And if you're going to put them in a contest like for Jeopardy, they can rattle off the facts and the figures and stuff like that. But what will sustain them is seeing how it relates to their life. That's, that's the relevance. Along that same line, there was a person who, when it was recommended to this individual that they read the Proverbs. And the uh, Proverbs, that's, I don't have an application in my life. It took about six months or so, and the person comes back and says, you know, Proverbs is pretty great. It's like road signs. It's telling you, hey, the bridge is out ahead. Don't go down that way. It took them about six months to get around to reading the Proverbs, and now they don't want to put them down. I love them. But I want to, I hope that all of you with children and all of you that will have children in the future will come to rely upon these words I'm going to leave with you in Jeremiah 31, 15 and 17. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, 
Raquel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were no more. But the Lord says, thus says the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping and thy eyes from tears. For thy work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. So she's thinking her children have been killed and they haven't been killed. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. And in Isaiah 49, 21 through 23, Then thou say in thine heart, Who has begotten me these, seeing I have lost my children, and am desolate, a captive, and, re- and removing to and fro? And who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. These? Where had they been? Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people and they shall bring your sons in their arms and they shall bring your daughters and they shall be carried upon their shoulders and the kings shall be thy nursing fathers and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth and lick the dust off of thy feet and you shall know that I am the Lord. For they shall not be ashamed that wait for me.